You're listening to the Flip My Funnel podcast, a daily podcast dedicated to helping B2B marketing, sales, and customer success professionals become masters of their craft. It's Wednesday, and in these episodes, Sangram and myself, James Carberry, focus on personal development. We'll share books and other resources that are helping us get a little bit better every single day. And remember, like Sangram always says, without a community, you are simply a commodity. Here we go. All right. Well, everyone, thank you for uh, your patience today uh, and coming to our awesome, uh, exciting intent. You've been tested and uh, you have shown adequate intent to be able to uh, to join us today. So super, super excited to be able to introduce you to uh, our panel today. I'm very lucky to have Lisa, James, Millie, Carrie, and Robin. I'll introduce myself and then we can take turns introducing uh, ourselves. Uh, my name is Michael McConaughey. I'm the VP of Marketing here at Revenue Analytics. We are a B2B SaaS pricing company. Lisa? Hi, I'm Lisa Sharapata and actually transitioning over to a new CMO role. So what, what? I'm no longer um, at Mind Tickle, but I'm a uh, TV like transitioning. So nothing's been announced yet. Um, but I've been using intent data for several years now, and it's a game changer. And I'm super excited to talk about this. I'll go next. James Gilbert, head of marketing at CRM next. Um, our, what we, what we sell is in our name. So I'll leave it there. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, let's, let's, let's go to, let's go Millie, Carrie, Robin. Yep. Hey. Uh, hey everyone, my name is Millie Resnick. I'm the VP of Product Marketing at Bombora. Bombora is the leading provider of B2B intent data. I'm Kerry Cunningham, and I'm a senior principal in product marketing at Six Sense. Recently, from uh, Sears Decisions and Forrester, and at uh, at Sears Decisions and Forrester, I authored our intent data frameworks and buyer signal frameworks and the demand unit waterfall and all of that stuff. So happy to be here today. Hey all, I'm Robin Ijak Seng, VP of Revenue Marketing at G2. Um, with G2 only for about two months, um, but longtime fan and power user of G2 intent data and, and other intent data. And um, super happy to be here. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you, everybody. And and Robin, I did practice the <laughs> Ijak Seng. Nice. Nice. Impressive. <laughs> I, I that was without any help from you at all. So you know, you did. There was not an email exchange where you like helped me out like 15 times. So I appreciate that. <laughs> All right, uh, let's get going. So this is one of the wonderful slides that was provided to us by G2, and I think this is a pretty cool place to start. Uh, just talking about what is uh, intent uh, data, and so first party. Honestly, I kind of think about this as lead scoring. This is stuff that you're interacting with today. You're probably scoring against it. James, you want to walk us through what do you think second party is? Sure. So, you know, this is um, data collected from companies' first party data, which is then purchased by us. And some of this stuff from a second party intent in perspective is going to be tricky, I think, along with the third party stuff moving forward with cookie laws and things like that. So we'll see what happens there. But Lisa, if you want to talk about third party, Sure. So this is the stuff that I think was a game changer for me. I was calling it the dark funnel at the time. Now there's like lots of different things people talk about with the dark funnel, but this is allowing you to see what's happening. Like if someone's searching for a keyword that would be 
helpful for you to know. They haven't been to your website yet. They maybe don't even know who you are, but now you're able to start seeing things that are happening out in the web much earlier because of this intense signal coming in and, and showing that information to you. Awesome. So we think it's a really good first start here. So uh, as Kerry had, had spoken in his introduction, he used to be with SD. For those of us who've been to Summit, you probably sum up on stage. So we thought he was certainly you could, you could uh, qualified to give us kind of just a high level overview of what he's seen in the past two, three, five years in tent adoption. Kerry, what, 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 what have you been seeing? So uh, what we see generally is about half of B2B says that they use some form of intent. That half is concentrated pretty well within mid-sized tech companies where the penetration is probably much closer to 80 or percent. And then outside of that, pretty spotty. Um, and we've seen the use of, you know, so we, you just talked about first, second, third party intent. We're seeing a growing understanding. I'll talk about it a little bit later, but a growing understanding that the third party intent that we've always talked about is just a small, well, it's not a small piece, it's a big piece, but it's there, there are other important pieces of that intent, that, especially first party. And so we see a, a growing recognition of that uh, as organizations have adopted, particularly in the kind of mid-market uh, for the last few years. Great, and certainly why we had uh, so many registrations, certainly a very hot topic. This, uh, I think, is a great uh, slide. James was kind enough to put this together. Uh, just a really good overview on where is uh, intent, where can you find it? James, you and Lisa want to walk us through this one? Yeah. I mean, you can find intent from a lot of places. And by the way, we are very aware that this is not all the vendors you can get them from. We are very aware that this is not all the marketing plays that you can find intent. But just at a high level, um, these are some areas that, that we, I think, all agree on um, help um, where you can find intent. And some of those vendors are on here with us today. Um, Sixth Sense, G2, uh, Bombora, uh, Terminus also has a, a view of that, Zoom Info, HG Insights, and others. So th that's where you're going to get, you're going to have to purchase the data, right? You're going to have to purchase it usually through a vendor to get it. And I think one of the things that I have always recommended, um, if you've ever attended any of the sessions that I've done on intent in the past, you would have heard me say this before, and that's always have at least three sources of intent and triangulate it because one single source of intent is never good enough, no matter how great your event, these vendors are, like they're great, but usually you want to try to triangulate data in every case. So having three sources is helpful. And that's why we're also going to go through some of these others. Lisa, what, what areas do you want to talk through on this slide? Yeah, I mean, I'll just add that originally I started pulling in intent data from my ABM platform, right? And then what I found over time, to your point on triangulating it, is that not only does it help with the sales team who are going to be questioning it, like they will inevitably ask, is this real, legit? And if you've got multiple sources, that really helps to validate some of those. But it also, like somebody may go searching for intent on G2 and not have, it doesn't pull up someplace else. So it also gives you additional, you know, lead sources for intent. So, I mean, I just look at it as I'm running a data-driven marketing approach and the more data and the more insights, the more information I can 
pull in to pull it all together to try to get a holistic view of what's going on, the better of a marketer I can be, the better job I can do of meeting people where they're at. So now that's what I'm using this intent data for is really to figure out the right message to get to my audience at the right time. And and at my viewpoint, like the more, the better. So, you know, where can you find this intent and pull it in from? I want to also quickly just uh, highlight the podcast really fast because this is, this is to me a little bit of a hack that I don't think people think about. So before you do a podcast with anybody, you have a pre-podcast questionnaire that you might do with them. So you schedule a very short meeting, maybe 15 minutes is all, and you have questions um, that are specific to the industry that you are trying to serve in your ICP. And you try to invite people that are in your ICP that could potentially buy your product, okay? These questions, if you keep them the same to try to get data, it also becomes a version of being able to do market research and giving you what they're passionate about. Like on our podcast, we ask everybody one question. Well, we ask everybody several questions, but one question in particular, we ask, what are you passionate about that you disagree with or agree with that the rest of the industry is either doing or not doing? It gives us a pulse immediately with everybody that comes to the podcast on what they are really thinking about and what they care about in the industry. And it's directly related to our ICP. It's a pain point we can build content off of. It can really help build a content model and help deliver incent to sales that you would typically not get. So that's something else to think about, a little bit of a tactical hack there. Very cool, James. Thank you. Yeah. And, uh, uh, I don't know about everyone else on this call, but the first time that uh, I've introduced intent in the last couple of places I've been, most of the salespeople thought it was witchcraft. I uh, didn't, weren't quite sure if they wanted to trust it. Uh, Millie, I don't know if people are, are coming to you and accusing you of witchcraft, but uh, mm-hmm. it's uh, having those multiple sources certainly gives you the best chance to have that, that ring true when that reach out happens. All right, let's keep going. So this is a, a slide that we added on to from Inverta to give them credit. They presented at B2B SMX uh, about a month and a half ago, I believe it was. And we thought this was an interesting way to kind of break down the different types of data. We added on to here what we, we're calling marketplace data, which is folks that are going for user reviews to try to, uh, to see the different ratings of different in-market or other di- different solutions and then that data being passed back. So... Lisa, do you want to kind of walk us through how, how these different types of intent are sprinkled across the, uh, the the landscape here? Sure. I mean, I think, you know, it's kind of self-explanatory because we did such a good job of laying this out, right? Inverta did. <laughs> but um, I, I think it just kind of goes back to the point that there's lots of different places that you can get intent from and to really start thinking about those signals, like what can you pull in from social media, for example, or like Bambora, Bambora, you know, buckets things into categories and topics, which, you know, happy to have you guys talk more about on this too, you know, so just back to like triangulating that data, pulling it in from multiple sources and really trying to get a holistic view of what is going on you know, in the marketplace with your accounts. Hey, Lisa, let me ask you a question. So, so James was talking about at least three. Uh, you're you're in the uh, the team all data, 
if you are you saying that should we should we follow James's lead here and take one from a couple of the different lines here, or would you would you advise to, to buy a whole bunch in one specific category to really have a good view from from that one specific type? Yeah, I mean, I I'm just looking at what I typically have used. I'll just in all honesty, like I haven't pulled in much publisher level intent data. Although like if we're doing content syndication with a tech target, obviously then if they're engaging, we're trying to drive them to a landing page, then that landing page is gonna get put into my sixth sense and the engagement signals are gonna get picked up in the campaigns that we're running. And so, you know, inevitably it will start to show in my predictive modeling in sixth sense that that account is engaging through the content syndication with tech target. But like I have a separate bucket in my dashboard right now for G2 and we consider that like a hot inbound almost. It's not, I mean, I don't, I think James, you like have your own intent data model that you, predictive model that you created yourself. Like we're not that sophisticated. So I've got like my sixth sense model running that's showing me the predictive on that. I've got my G2 that's showing, like my chat bot is in its own, separate thing. But again, if someone comes to my website and they're engaging on a landing page, Sixth Sense is going to pull that in. So I'm not as sophisticated as James. We're, we have things kind of in buckets right now. So that might be a better question for James to talk about, or I think you've got a slide later on this, like how it's all working together. Listen, yeah. I, I love I love James, all right, but uh, I'm not going to let you get away with that accusation that that James is light years ahead of you. I think that you won a couple of awards recently. Totally that, agree, by that, the way. That that show that that's not the case, uh, and James is a badass. Uh, I'm not well, that. I'm just I guess maybe I just take a simpler approach, right? It's like you can get all this intent data from so many different places, but I know that my predictive modeling with Six Sense is capturing a bunch of it, and I'm focusing on that and then I'm pulling in these other little pieces here and there to help and like we've layered in Bombora onto Sixth Sense now so that's pulling in G2 is in its own bucket and then like I said we're not doing social as a standalone or pulling that in but if they get driven to a landing page through social then that's getting picked up etc so it's just a different way of doing it. Uh, that works. I think, you know, just from, from answering where you are, the answer is uh, let's sprinkle in uh, bits and pieces from everywhere. James, anything to add to that? Well, how about we ask you? I mean, you're on this too, man. You're not getting away with just like being <laughs> <laughs> busted. <laughs> yeah. Uh, for, for me, I think I had candidly never really even thought of it this way before, uh, which is why I thought this was such a clever slide by inverted way to, to put these things together. Millie was kind enough to explain to us kind of how, how, how some of Bombora worked, which made a lot more sense to me. Uh, and so for me, I'm seeing kind of what are the crawl walk runs here and not wanting to dip into the same type of bucket uh, when I'm trying to try to get more from across the, the landscape where it makes sense to. Uh, IDG, I think is pretty interesting back when it was pre-pandemic and hopefully someday, because I think that that pulls in event data, which is interesting. So you can start to see what types of events people are traveling to. I think that's interesting as well. But we build, we build 
we build, so any data source that we have intent with, it, it sounds really complex on us building, but it's actually really not. It's just, we, we put it into a scoring model, right? And, and rather than sending all those data points to sales and, have, and having a fall flat or sales not believing in it or whatever the case may be, right? We, we just build it into a, a scoring model that they're a part of, they get to see it. But I mean, I can tell you that once upon a time at a company in the past, I was using Bombora, Demandbase, Terminus, TechTarget, TrustRadius, and G2 all at once. And it is probably the cleanest intent buying signal that I've ever seen. Like using all of that, right? Obviously, that's not sustainable for most of us that are not at a not at a company that can just fork out that type of cash, right? But I can tell you at, at our stage, we've invested in Vombora, we've invested in G2. We also have a different layered industry version of tech target that's specific to our, our industry that we serve. And then and then we also have, have terminates and those four areas of intent have got it to where there is no doubt in our sales team's mind or our minds when something is trending in those areas, we, we know they're looking. Right on. Well, cool. Um, just going to pick up the pace a little bit. Sorry, folks, we uh, get a little chatty about the topic. You can see why we wanted to put this on. It is certainly very interesting. Now, Lisa, I know you were going to tackle this one along with uh, with James, which is how, how can an intent help the organization? I think the immediate mind goes to demand gen, but it can do a whole lot more, right? Yeah. So, I mean, I'll just say here, we can probably skip like slide eight where I've got the list of all the things that I'm doing with it too. So I'm using intent to show me who's in market. So not only if it's an ICP fit, but I want to know if they're an in-market ICP fit that that matches my total addressable market. And then I can also see what stage they're in. I can see what keywords they've been searching for. So I'm going to build out a segment, let's say hypothetically for accounts that were searching for ramp time. And I can run a campaign against that concept of ramp time. And I can also know that like this account is really early stage. They're just starting to show signs of awareness. Like they just started searching for ramp time, but they've never been to my website yet. I'm going to run different types of campaigns and content materials to them than I would if they're later stage, they've already been to my website. They've looked at my competitors. Then I might start telling them, why are we better? What should you be looking for? Here's a research report about this. This is the things you should consider when you're buying technology to solve for it. Here's some social proof. Like, so I'm leveraging that information to help me make decisions about what campaign they should be in and what kind of messing I should send to them. And also like another example, if I've got a landing page I'm sending them to, my chat bot is pulling in the intent data as well. And they know all that information. So I've built out playbook basically for X scenario in Y stage and my chatbot knows, oh, it's this account. It can serve up a custom message. Or if I just know like if it's fuzzy, but I know that they're earlier on and they were searching for ramp time, then I can put, it'll do this play. So it's just, it's such a game changer of like 
how much more personalized and one-to-one meaningful information you can get in front of somebody at the right time. But then the other thing is like, I'm even looking at accounts that are already customers of mine who's starting to all of a sudden search for my competitors. Like, are they at a churn risk? Okay, now I'm gonna drop them into a dynamic campaign. I don't even have to do anything. As soon as they start to show these intense signals, they just automatically get put into this campaign to, you know, basically a retention campaign. So that, you know, there's a tons of different ways you can use this across for sure. marketing. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And, and certainly with this is also meant to be kind of a teaser too. Uh, we were asked, been, we've been asked to do a, a third event on intent, which is really how it can be uh, affect at a deeper level, the overarching marketing strategy uh, and how it can uh come to fruition in very specific terms. I think Lisa, there's a slide at the very end uh, that that's a nice segue for that as well. So it's just, I think, increasingly how wide of a breath intent can impact is is something that I think a lot of marketers are coming to terms with. James, anything uh, to add here? I'll just say we're going to be getting into some of the tactics here in a little bit, and we're going to be doing a whole separate session on that and and as well as on GTM and some of these other functions too. So just keep an eye on the community for that. But I will say that the the top and uh, the GTM and other functions, this is where you have a unique superpower as, as, you know, a lead marketer, if you have this data to start being seen as a true thought leader because you have data that every function of the business can leverage and it should be driving decisions with product it should be driving decisions with sales it should be driving decisions with customer success and if you're being lazy with that data and not helping those other functions then they're not going to see the value in it so you have a unique opportunity as a lead marketer at a company to, to really make a big difference and a big splash. For the record, that's how I got a CMO job. Hmm. <laughs> well done, well done. Okay, so uh, this was another uh, nice slide that Robin uh, was kind enough to provide. We thought this gave a, a really, really nice high level intense overview, which is just the identify, engage, and measure. You guys can read read through this. Uh, don't spend a whole lot of time on this slide, but I think that is as simplistic as it gets in a really concise way, which is figure out who's there, start interacting with them, and see, see how your tactics are working. Okay. Yeah, then- I think, well, you know what? I'll just add on. So I mentioned customer marketing, but I'm back to kind of what James was saying. Knowing for example, the keywords that are showing up the most in my instance gives me a really good idea of what's going on in the market. So sharing that information is really valuable. So an example might be one of the top keywords that was searched for was learning management system at MindTickle. Well, we don't sell learning management systems, but we kind of back in the day, that's where we started and it evolved to what we're calling a readiness platform but we're trying to trailblaze this. So nobody's using no nobody's using readiness platform or searching for readiness platform. We have like 1000 people searching for that every day, but there's, you know, 150,000 people searching for LMS, learning management system. So 
being able to share that insight with my product team, really helpful. Sales team, really helpful. Having Using those keywords, SEO, and having a landing page that's all about why readiness is the new LMS or LMS being out, readiness being in, the future of LMS is readiness. That informs not only my content strategy, my campaign strategy, my messaging, the SEO strategy, but it also helps my product team, my sales team, everybody to understand like, okay, this person was searching for this and this is how we need to address it and knowing the state of the market. So that's just one example. And then I saw a couple of people asking questions in here about lead scoring too. And I'll just say, yeah, I don't gate anything that I don't have to. I mean, if we do obviously put a gate in front of a demo request and we're still trying to get demo requests. We have webinars, we're putting gates in front of those obviously so that we can send people the right link. We're, you know, we are gating things, but I'm, I'm not just guessing, oh, this person gave me their contact information to download this white paper. I'm gonna give them 30 points for that. Those days are gone. I'm looking at how much engagement is happening and that goes into my predictive model. And when they hit certain thresholds, we know that they get into different places. And I mean, this actually might be something Carrie wants to talk about. I don't know if you want to talk about it here or, or later on in your slide, Carrie, but I mean, I'll just pause and give you a, a moment if you'd like. <laughs> You're absolutely singing my song. That's that's for sure. And, and not just because I'm at Six Sense, but I've been talking about this for more than five years or so at Serious Decisions in Forrester. There's no evidence that I'm aware of, and I've talked to everybody, uh, that lead score actually means anything, right? That the person who filled out the form and downloaded every one of your white papers is no more likely to be part of an active buying process than the person who filled out a form and downloaded one thing or looked at one thing. So it, I'm really encouraged to see this because it, it does feel like the market is moving past that as an idea of how to do things. Uh, and so... We'll talk about this in, in a couple of minutes, so I'll defer the rest of it, but it's also really great to hear people talk about using all the different sources uh, of intent and triangulating, because that, that's really what it's about. How do we identify an in-market buyer, pay attention to them, enable them, and then leave everybody else alone so they won't hate us, right? <laughs> <laughs> Communicate later on. No one hates marketers. No one hates marketers. We're, we're, we're beloved by all. I mean, come on. That's sales that they hate. That's right. They're the ones trying to call them. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, but at the end of the day, who is it? It's the telemarketers, right? Well, you know, I'm telesales, right? I believe, uh, Millie, this is yours. Yeah, so I think this section we're supposed to talk about like either a unique use case or one that you recommend. So I stole this from Snowflake. I didn't create this myself. Um, they did a webinar with us a couple week, uh, couple months ago. So um, this is kind of what they talked about. You know, they have a hyper-personalized ABM approach and I think it works well. So, you know, what they do obviously before this is they have their target accounts and they tier them and all that kind of stuff, but they create like pods of an AE, an ABM lead, an SDR manager, field sales, demand gen, all these um, folks and their, you know, upper tier accounts, they actually meet regularly to talk about these accounts, you know, based on um, intent. Like they work with SixSense as well. So they combine sort of SixSense's predictive platform with Bombora data to be like, okay, this account, like what should we be creating for them? What should we be doing them? What's the, uh, like the strategy? And they create custom content for every single one of these target accounts. 
um, that they focus on. And, you know, they'll create a custom landing page. They will create custom ads, custom messaging, custom content, and they run it across their um, different channels that they have. Um, and then they coordinate with their SDRs as well to, um, you know, align the messaging with their outreach sequences, with the, uh, you know, the gifts that they're sending out with all that kind of stuff. And so they do a really hyper-personalized coordinated approach across, you know, thousands of target accounts. And I feel like it just works for them and it's replicable for a lot of other types of companies and see really great results. Yeah, it's, it's funny, uh, as we're looking through this, this uh, is similar to a play that we're running here at Revenue Analytics that's been very effective for us as well. So that's super cool to see. To see. Uh, James, Lisa, anything uh, you, want, you want to ask Millie about this slide? Not, not specifically about this slide, but I'm genuinely curious, Millie, like what have you found with clients that you guys have? Like what have you found the most effective way to explain just how to get sales adoption uh, at a high level? You know, I feel like most people that um, implement intent data at their companies, they, they typically start small. They start with like one or two really sort of eager SDRs or sales folks, and they just work with them specifically and they show success. And, you know, when sales see success, like anecdotally, they tell other people. And, and I feel like a lot of the customers that we work with and how they've uh, been able to get adoption at their companies is really based on um, just starting small and expanding from there. Sounds like the old uh, ABM approach as well, right? So you have that test case and you make it uh, work and then all of a sudden everybody else wants to do it too, right? Cool. All right. Next up, uh, Carrie, this is your slide. And uh, you and I were talking a little bit about this last night and a uh, really interesting point of view on this one. Uh, take it away, Carrie. Thank you. Um, so we've talked about three different uh, kinds of intent per second, third. I want to break it down a little bit more so that we can see the different layers. And here's the way that we've been thinking about this. When I say we, I actually, I still often go back. I'm going back to Serious Decisions in Forrester, where what we talked about is that um, every form of buyer behavior, every intent signal that you can get is a layer of evidence about where you ought to invest uh, your organization's uh, resources. And the fewer signals that you have, the fewer layers of evidence, uh, the less you can afford to invest in pursuing that prospect. So here we've got the MQL in the middle. Um, that's what most organizations still primarily pay attention to. It's really heartwarming to hear you guys all saying, nope, that's not it. So that's great. You've got the pre-MQLs on the outset on the next circle. Then you've got anonymous visitors on your website. So, you know, a couple of stats everybody kind of knows, but really should change the way everybody thinks about things. You know, of your uh, of all the people who fill out a form on your website, somewhere between 40 and, and then, you know, 20 or so percent uh, on the weaker side become MQL. So yeah, most of the, the people who fill out forms don't become MQLs and, and organizations who have MQLs ignore all of the ones that aren't. Um, and then of all the people that come to your website, nine out of 10 of them don't fill out a form. So when you do the math on that, you get a very, very small glimpse of the interest in your solutions by looking just at MQLs. So stop doing that. That's, that's the first thing to do. And then, of course, you've got you know, review, syndicated content, uh, intent, where you actually know uh, an individual's name, which is super helpful for uh, salespeople and SDRs. And then that layer of uh, third-party intent of the various kinds that we've seen already on the outside. 
So the way that I think we ought to be thinking about this is if you get five different layers evidence that a prospect is in market, your job now is to get that thing into the hands of a human being who can go pursue that potential opportunity. And that's the first play on the top there. So if you get multiple layers of evidence, then in, instead of having the rep follow up on a person or a lead, we want what's really a, an outbound prospecting motion that may start with really good lead names, um, but we want that prospecting motion to be aimed at multiple individuals within that organization. And the way that I think about this motion is it goes from, I'm going to, if I'm a SDR, I'm going to follow my cadence and I'm going to run to the end of the cadence. And if nothing happens, I give up. Well, instead of that, when you have layers of evidence like this, the, the instruction becomes get in there, find out what's going on and don't come home until you know, right? There's a evidence that there's something happening there. Either we're going to get the business or somebody else is going to get the business, but we have to know if we're going to get a chance to compete for it. I would add one other thing, and that is if you have multiple A's and B's, multiple MQLs or pre-MQLs in your data, that qualifies, you know, that is a, a very high level of intent and you need to do something about it. And the reason it's worth mentioning is because most organizations in B2B today could not tell you if you have multiple signals like that at the same time. So you have already paid, if you're, if you're the VP of marketing or the CMO, VP of demand, you've already paid to get these people to your website and to fill out forms. If an organization in B2B is going to buy from you, there will be multiple people from that organization looking at you. Now, it won't be that multiple people fill out forms every time, but you have to know. And if your buying team, buying group is 10, 12 people, chances are a couple of them are going to fill out a form on the way to becoming uh, a real prospect. And you have to be able to see that. And if you ask your salespeople, what's more important to me, seeing that there's three people from that account or seeing that there's one person who's eaten up all of our white papers, it's the three people from the account. You have to be able to see that and you have to be able to act on it. Last thing uh, that I'll say is that today, it's very likely that if you have two or three or four MQLs or, well, let's say MQLs from an organization, that you're ignoring the second, third, and fourth ones. Uh, and when we think about layers of evidence, that is absolutely tragic. And especially if you're the person whose budget pays to get them there. If you get two or three or four MQLs from an account, that is an enormously great buying signal and you have to act on it. End of sermon. <laughs> You know, Carrie, when we're talking about this last night, we were kind of uh, walking through kind of the best in class and what you were seeing. I think the unlock for me came in when you told me that, you know, hey, you think of the best is let's let's get these all these different signals together. And then whoever is showing the absolute most, that's SDR. And then you just want to prioritize your spend top down from there to the so that those next segments and, and groups. I thought that was really interesting. And we also talked about how there's unfortunately misalignment in most organizations on how SDRs are compensated and they would ignore that second lead from that account because they're not getting paid for it and they don't want to waste their time calling someone they're not going to get paid for. That's the source of it. Yeah. Uh, so virtually all BR organizations, SDR organizations have compensation plans that say you get paid for producing opportunities that go to pipeline. I produce a, if I, if I qualify a lead and it becomes an opportunity, and then I get another MQL that comes through for that same account, my incentive is a BDR. And probably the rule that I have inside my organization is look to see if there's an open op and if there is kill that lead. Now, 
this or this group already knows how absolutely insane that is, but it's probably happening. So if you do nothing else, stop that from happening. Get those leads attached to at least the account, if not an opportunity object. The other thing we talked about is like, you know, my favorite case study ever back at Serious Decisions is an organization that just uh, did lead to account matching. Every lead that came in, every form field got a, attached to an account and then to an opportunity where they had multiple individuals looking at the same solution. The BDRs followed up on opportunities, not leads, and their productivity went through the roof. And it's simple. It's just dead simple to do. It's process. There's some change management, but everybody could do it. I'm going to bring Carrie into yell my sales team. <laughs> <laughs> that used to be my <laughs> that was awesome. Thank you, Karen. That's fantastic. I believe, Lisa, this is yours. Yeah. So I'll kind of take what Carrie was saying and bring it a little bit more to life in that I needed a way to map the intent data to operationalize it and, and have some sort of a process behind it and also get marketing aligned with sales. So I needed to understand what the different stages in my predictive modeling, which again, I'm using Sixth Sense and we're pulling in Bambora intent data, what they meant, and then figure out, okay, what's the action that needs to get taken off of that or, or after that. So this first bucket over here on the far left, these are accounts that are in my total addressable market that meet my ICP fit, but they are, what I say, they're showing no signs of life. They are not researching anything that would indicate that they have any interest in buying something that we sell. So for the most part, I'm leaving that alone. I mean, I might be at an event that they're in, there, there might be a time and a place to try to create awareness there, but I'm not going to spend the majority of my time on that because there are plenty of accounts in my, you know, ICP fit that are in market. And so if they're starting to research pain points, um, keywords, things that, again, without intent data, I would never be able to have seen before. Now I can start serving up display ads and go to LinkedIn and invite them to things and get them more involved to, so that they know who my company is and how we could potentially help solve for them. So at that point, it's like, I just want to make them aware of my brand. Sales is not involved. It's pretty much all marketing outbound, trying to get in front of them with, with, you know, content ads, materials, emails, you name it. Then, you know, they'll move into this consideration stage. Once we start to see that they're searching for our competition or even for our company, not mind tickle or whatever your company is um, directly. And so I want to get them to a landing page where they can learn more learn more about me, learn more about what we can do, learn more about the options they have, start to create some intrigue around how you can help solve for the problem that they have, right? And then when they move over this threshold into what we call the sweet spot, what I like to call the sweet spot, I consider it a marketing qualified account, they meet our ICP fit, they're in market, and then they've Lead, they've scored in the predictive model enough engagement basically is what it's all about. They've opened enough emails, been to our website, maybe reviewed content. I mean, there's usually multiple different factors of things happening here 
that are pushing them over this threshold, that's when I want the BDRs to reach out. That's when we're saying, hey, they know who we are. They're really interested. There's enough engagement happening in this account. They should be ready to talk, to want to see the product, to you know have a discussion with us. And they're, it looks like they're evaluating their options. Like now's the time to get in. And we have it broken out. If it's a tier one account, which is a named account by the AEs, the AEs get notified. If it's a tier two, the BDRs get notified. It's all happening behind the scenes in these dashboards. It pulls up for them. But the bottom line is, Marketing is still running display, still running email, but we're shifting our message. We're moving it along to later stage types of content. We're providing what I call air cover and still supporting the motion, but we're starting to insert sales. And we've spent a lot of time then to teaching the sales team, what does this intent mean? What does this mean when you see this in the iframe in your sales force under the account? So that they know, okay, this account's already engaged with these things. Here's what I should be talking to them about. And so it makes all the difference that, again, you get aligned with whatever the stages are in your sales cycles. Everyone knows when to do outreach, how to use that intent data in their motion, maybe what sequence they should put an account into in the BDR outreach, et cetera based on this intent data. And so getting alignment and having a process is really what I think the takeaway should be here. Once you get that intent data, you've got to figure out how to operationalize it. Awesome, thank you, Lisa. That was phenomenal. This is this is just a quick mock-up of some of the things that we're doing at RA. We're bringing in Bombora and ZoomInfo intent data that goes uh, into our Salesforce tag. Uh, when it's a, uh, a target account, we tag sales, let them know that, hey, these guys are here. And FYI, they're about to enter into a specific nurture that then trips up into HubSpot. And due to where the uh, buying group members are ranked internally, we will send certain personas, certain incentive offers, try to pique their interest to speak with us. Uh, typically, it's, it's a gift card offering to buy them dinner or lunch or something like that. Uh, and then we're giving general uh, intent topic specific nurture to the organization that every one of those personas that is of interest to us also receives after they go through. Uh, also now pulling in uh, Bamora and information into LinkedIn, which is automatically uh, targeting accounts that it sees are spiking for terms that are of interest to us. And then based on what those terms are, we're mirroring either early, mid or late stage messaging, also offering uh, the in-mail uh, incentive to uh, those prospects as well. And this is always on. Uh, and there's still some manual work for us because not everyone can have uh, budgets uh, like the uh, the former Cisco life that James was living. But for us right now, there's still some, some manual pieces to this, but uh, we're getting more and more strong with it. Next up, James, I believe this is your... Yeah, so I, I think I've, I've sh- to many of you, many of you have seen our... Banklerette campaign that we ran a little while ago here at CRM Next. And the whole goal behind that was we wanted people to date us like you would anyone, like when you do a vendor. Not creepy. It's not creepy. And it was during the pandemic, so we couldn't actually like take people to dinner or anything like that. So we decided to 
hire some actors and actresses to do a different version of a competitive comparison, okay? So the intent was provided by G2 when somebody would do a competitive comparison and we were not in that competitive comparison, we would do retargeting ads to bring them onto this campaign and we would ask them to date us. And that's all we're asking for is to date us. And if they, if they needed some convincing, we wanted them to go through a video series. What oftentimes I think people are doing and I knowing the folks at G2 as long as I have and talking to them and doing sessions with them, what a lot of people will do is they'll send them back to the comparison report that they can already get on their own. So you've just lost all of the control of that journey and experience. So we wanted to change that. So we layered in some Bombora surges. We also used FedFIS, which is again, that tech provider that's unique to us to identify some specific ICPs. But then we would send people down this unique experience uh, that was all this video kind of experience um, TV series where each competitor that we could be compared to had a persona and a person that represented them. And we were represented by a specific person as well. And then we would personalize the content. Those would go down to the sales sequence. A LinkedIn conversational ad would start. We would also backtrack that with email and an email banner as well. And then we would serve up a direct mail piece. And there was two different parts of that direct mail piece. One to have dinner with us virtually because we, again, we're trying to get them to date us. And then we would also send a physical rose that people would get that could last up to five years because the whole theme of the campaign was around relationships should last and so should your CRM. <laughs> so it's a fun way to do it. But I think one of the things that I want to call out is the entire process from the moment in which they were they were being delivered an ad was completely cohesive with everything that our sales team was doing, everything that we were doing, every piece of uh, marketing material that they got in the funnel was completely unique to this part of a campaign. That's awesome, James. Thank you very much. Sorry for the uh, late animation there. Good. I forgot I had animations. In sorry there. about that. And then uh, Robin, sorry to, to keep you waiting. Uh, this is one of your awesome examples. Yeah, this is just a real simple contained example of uh, this. This was powered by G2 Intent Data. So when I uh, was with Better Cloud before I joined G2, we were leveraging G2's Intent Data quite a bit, and mostly we were, you know, fans of the data, but huge fans of all the integrations. So I think we turned on Slack first, and then LinkedIn matched audiences, and then Marketo and SalesLoft, and we would trigger direct mail sends through Sendoso. Um, as I was leaving, we turned on Uberflip. So we were doing a lot of cool stuff with the integrations. And this is, is an example of like, you know, kind of like I think James was just saying where, where you have um, people, maybe accounts that are visiting your category on G2, not necessarily your profile. It's a good opportunity to you know, educate them on what even is your, you know, category. In our case at Better Cloud, it was uh, SaaS operations management. So we would kind of serve content around that. And this really was a, a tactic for us. We didn't MQL these people. I know it's like not okay to say that, um, but we would kind of score off of, of, off of a form fill. So these ads on the left 
um, were targeting accounts that visited the category on G2. And then um, it was like a LinkedIn lead gen form that we would then kind of like score. And because we know that it was powered by intent data, we would score a little bit higher, but we didn't uh, MQL everyone that that filled out a form, obviously. But on the right, you'll see an example of an ad that was a bit more of a sort of heavy ask, um, a demo request, because we knew they were looking at Better Cloud's profile on G2. They were even maybe comparing us to some of our competitors. So we would kind of be much more you know, forthcoming with, you know, we know, you know, we're number one in the category. Let's get you to a demo. And so this is just a, a quick and easy contained example of kind of mapping specific content um, and offers with the level in, of intent that was coming in from G2. And then we were also using things like Rollworks to serve display ads that map to Salesforce funnel stages. And we would build custom microsites in Unbounce and Uberflip for more of an ABM play when we knew it was one of our tier one or tier two accounts. And then, of course, email where it would get to sort of one to one where there was an SDR dedicated to just researching these companies that were our top, you know, tier one accounts like, oh, they just closed Series E funding. They're hiring a lot of IT people. Let's lean in with a message and then kind of one to few outreach. So this is just kind of a real life example of how at, at Better Cloud, the mar marketing team was using um, intense signals from G2. Fantastic, Robin. Thank you so much. I know we're coming up on time, though. If, uh, if you can stick around, folks, uh, we can do a little bit of Q&A. Definitely want to make sure we call out uh, Robin, Millie, and Carrie's uh, gracious involvement on this. Uh, and obviously, thanking James and Lisa for bearing with me fumbling through all of this. So uh, if you can stay on, please do. Let's open up the chat and see if there are other questions. Uh, James or Lisa, if you've been looking at the questions, I've not been. Yeah, we got some questions yep. on if intent outside of North America works. And the answer to that, like short and simple is yes, it does. But you also need to be a little bit more strategic in asking your vendors the hard questions about those regions and have them giving you really honest answers about it. Cool. Uh, any other questions? Yeah, I mean, I'll say I've run into this a lot. And actually, I'd love to hear what Carrie Carrie has to say, you probably have the most insight on this topic. Yeah, well, I think what James said was right. You know, everybody's concerned, of course, about uh, GDPR and, uh, you know, the rules now, of course. And they, they apply to personally identifying information only at this point. I mean, uh, so the, the real issue going forward is going to be cookies more than uh, GDPR rules and things around, around uh, uh, intent. I think your expectations have to be a little bit lower in Europe and elsewhere than they are in the United States. But when you think about what the intent actually is, it's, it's think about layers of evidence and the more layers you can get, the better, even if it isn't as good in Europe, which I think it is right now, it's still going to be better than what you're doing today if you're just looking at MQLs. Just a, just a question, guys. Can everyone hear me? Yes. Okay, so on intent, I looked at Pombora about uh, five years ago. I actually wanted to resell it in South Africa with Inside View, which I resold. They couldn't really uh, supply, and I don't want to talk about the tech really, but what it seems to me, well, in, in intent data, I mean, I've understood it for years, you know, you can't really do it well without tech. 
and Bombora was one of the first ones that, that started down this, this road. The problem was for where I come from, like South Africa, remember these South African customers that I'm selling to. So therefore, those customers, when you look at the, the customers and your audience or your targeted audience in, in the States, everyone is going to G2. Well, some people are going to G2 as well, but we've got different you know, uh, places where people go and search for their intent. Um, it's not always uh, a website or a, a newsletter or something that someone will go to online uh, in the States. Um, it's, it's, it's different and it's different for every country. So that's why the question was when I did ask that. So I don't know how much they've done, especially around surge as well. They because intent how the the algorithm works. I think think it's on. Someone will need to explain it to me again. But um, and it's not just on cookies. But there it's the way that it's worked out. If you don't have that code uh, locally, they can't do the intent for you. It's as simple as that. And it's difficult to get that in countries that are outside of America. That's all that, that I had around that. Paul, I want to I uh, uh, hit on this really quick for you. So this is why we showed that very beginning slide of um, where you can find intent. Third, third party providers is only one pillar. All these other three pillars or four pillars can be done without tech providers, for the record. Okay. So this is where you're going to have to get really sophisticated in your data model internally, right? You're gonna to have to orchestrate it internally. This is for the record, why I built our data orchestration because I didn't wanna ever have the problem when we expand into other countries that that hinge our entire strategy, okay? So some of the stuff you're doing from a demand gen perspective like search data, keyword data, it's not at the account level, which that was one of the questions that we got earlier on in the session was, is it at the account level? No, it's not. But you can still use that as a way to get a pulse, right? Sorry, would you build a CDP? Would I build one? <laughs> um, I don't know that I would want to build one. <laughs> I would buy one and let them and then build my orchestration on top of it for sure. But I do think that there's lots of things you can do that are that are hacks um, with SEO, with keyword data. I think there's lots of things you can do that are small hacks that cost absolutely no money at all, like doing the podcast questions or simply asking the question that you keep in your form fills. That's open-ended. James, I would have one more thing. And this is consistent with my comments earlier. If you don't know which accounts are on your website anonymously today, you should stop everything that you're doing and go figure that out. You have already paid for that, right? And it is the outcome 95 out of 100 times when somebody comes to your website. So go figure that out, right? If you haven't done anything about that. Great point. Fantastic. Well, we are our five past guys. Thanks uh, everyone for sticking with us for a little bit more. I think this was a phenomenal session. You've been listening to the Flip My Funnel podcast. To make sure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you have an iPhone, we'd love for you to open the Apple Podcasts app and leave a review. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.